I'm Arya Schwartz along with Rachel Galligan and welcome to the Windsider Show where it's all about the W. Our next guest has been around basketball her whole life, collecting many awards on her way to winning a national championship with Purdue and playing in the W. When the playing career ended, she jumped right into coaching, coaching multiple college teams and WNBA teams. She was part of the 2012 champion Indiana Fever coaching staff. Our next guest, the head coach of the Connecticut Sun, Steph White. show, please consider joining our Patreon community, patreon.com backslash windsider. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the W. And don't forget to see our amazing staff's written content at windsider.com. That's windsider.com. If you're looking for a fun new way to watch WNBA games, or heck, even college or AU games, look no further. Windsider hosts watch parties on playback. They're simple, they're fun, and they're a great way to enjoy women's basketball. The link is playback.tv backslash Windsider. That's playback.tv backslash Windsider. Welcome back to the Windsider Show. I'm very excited for this one. It's always an honor, a privilege, um, and honestly a big deal anytime we get to talk with elite basketball minds, and that's what you are when you are a WNBA head coach. Steph White's joining the show today, um, and all of our WNBA listeners, longtime fans know you from your playing career, your coaching career. You clearly grew up in a basketball mecca of Indiana. Can you just share with us, how did you get into the game? When did you start playing? Yeah, I, it's always an interesting story because I have um, a picture when I was first born. Um, my dad was holding me in one hand and a basketball in the other. So it's 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 literally been um, in my DNA since I was born. But, you know, growing up in Indiana, like every family get together, every sporting event, every holiday uh, winds up in a pickup basketball game. And so it's just it's kind of a birthright when you grow up in, in, in the country, especially in, in the state of Indiana. So true. So true. And and so, I mean, we could talk about your accolades. We could talk about everything you accomplished. 1995, Indiana Miss Basketball, Gatorade National Player of the Year, USA Today National Player of the Year, Wade Trophy winner. You go on to lead Purdue to a national championship. I think, what was it, 99? Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, right. Then you went and played. I, I'm right on that? Okay, good. Um, mm -hmm. Played five years in the league, four with the fever. I mean, I just kind of want to say, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glossing over a lot of time here, but, you know, what is some of the most memorable moments from even just high school to your professional career? I mean, clearly, you know, I would, I would imagine you'll talk about that national championship, of course. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, certainly in winning Indiana Miss basketball, you know, when you grow up in the state and, and you see the, that Jersey worn by so many amazing players, men and women that played basketball in the state, it's, it's really, it's what your goal, individual goal is. Uh, so winning Indiana Miss basketball was huge. Um, you know, we never won a state championship, but I played in the single class system in Indiana basketball and I wouldn't change that, you know, for the world. You know, I don't, I don't remember how many games we won. I think we lost nine total games in my whole high school career. Um, and four of those were, were to, um, to schools that eventually went on to the final four, um, and competing for a state championship. So I really enjoyed 
that high school experience um, of playing in a one class system. I know um, often folks don't agree with that, but but I certainly loved it. Um, and, you know, and then and being able to go to college and um, and and be in a, a situation to to win Big Ten championships and the national championship obviously is is just the highlight of of my career. Um, not just because we won a national championship, but because of how it happened. I played for three coaches in four years. We had complete roster turnover after my freshman year. You know, Yukari Figs, my teammate and, and great friend, we, we didn't really know what was going to happen with our, with our career after that happened. And um, for us to be playing for and winning a national championship three years later, um, it was just really special. And it, it was special how it happened. It was special with the group that we were able to do it with. It was special because when we came to Purdue, that was our goal to win a national championship. And so that will always be uh, a highlight of, of, of my, my life um, because of the life experience that it taught me and a highlight of my career from a basketball standpoint. And then certainly being able to wear the Indiana Fever uniform to be able to, to culminate all, all three levels for me of, of basketball in my home state and to be a part of the first WNBA championship for the Indiana Fever. Um, you know, I was missing that state championship, but, but, you know, getting an NBA or WNBA championship and getting a, a collegiate championship in my home state was really special. Well, I, and we didn't even plan this, but just hearing you, you talk through this, it made me think like coming up in, in such a basketball centric place, but not necessarily that had, I mean, the W wasn't always around. What was that like growing up, you know, and then watching the W kind of, I wouldn't say appear out of nowhere, but like you know, I, I would assume when you were a little kid, you weren't dreaming of the W because it wasn't around. Right. And we didn't have social media at the time, right? The internet wasn't even available then. So it kind of did appear out of nowhere for us. It was, it was just one of those things where, you know, you think you're going to go, you're going to play college basketball and then life is going to be over unless you decide to go overseas. And at the time that wasn't, you know, something that I had really wanted to do. Um, so playing in college uh, was the ultimate goal. And then I, when I got to college, the ABL was around. And, and for the young listeners who don't remember the ABL, that was one of the professional leagues that, that um, was in my, my t- lifetime before uh, the WNBA. Of course, there were multiple other leagues that, that tried to, to um, start up that just didn't pan out. And the ABL was another one of those leagues. I mean, some of the best players to ever play the game played in the ABL. And uh, I think it was, I don't know, year two, three, something like that um, of the ABL, then the WNBA was coming to fruition. I may have been a sophomore in college, I think when it, when it first started. And so I think the, the option to potentially play after college was finally there. Um, and that was an exciting time. You know, there were a lot of question marks. How was it going to last? Um, you know, could it really get off the ground? What was it going to look like? There were some exciting cities and it was just a really exciting time for me. Um, and then when I graduated college, that was the year that the ABL folded. So both of the leagues came together. I mean, for me, I was in the same draft, um, and drafted to the same team as Don Staley. And, and I played my first year, my rookie year in Charlotte. Um, you know, Don was the first pick, um, for Charlotte in that draft. I was the second pick for Charlotte in that draft. And, you know, you walk into training camp and, and your teammates with Don Staley and, Tracy Reed and Vicky Bullitt and Rhonda Mapp and Andrea Stenson. I mean, some of the greatest college players that I grew up watching was really pretty incredible. Okay. I got to Oh my gosh. There's so many things I want to talk about right now. Okay. I'm going to bring it back to Indiana Miss basketball um, because it's interesting. I grew up in Illinois 
And it was only until I moved to Indiana and I was coaching collegiately there that I really realized the culture of what Miss Basketball means, the culture of basketball in the state. I mean, there, there's kind of this, like, at least for us, there was this kind of competitiveness between Illinois and Indiana. But after living there for three years and kind of experiencing it, it's like, okay, wow, re- Indiana really is that culture. Um, so it's really cool to hear you kind of just talk about that, 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 that growing up and just what that, you know, it, it's in every family, it's in every home. There's a hoop in every single driveway. Um, so amazing to kind of hear you talk about. But then I kind of want to talk about, you know, you know, you talked about playing with the fever. <clears throat> you've, you've been able to even get your, I believe, collegiate coaching mm-hmm. start was in Indiana. Fun fact, here's a really funny story. I've actually never shared this with you. Um, I was an assistant <clears throat> at Ball State, and I think we had the same office. And I remember one of my first few days, um, I would just get these phone calls constantly on like the like landline phone. And I would answer it and be like, hey, is this stuff white? And I was like, what? <laughs> is that not the most random thing? I'm like, that is. is no stuff white coached here. I had no idea. So yeah, I used to get phone calls all the time. Um, yeah, in my office. Apparently, we had the same office. Fun fact. That's random. <laughs> but, you know, I, I want to, before we fully dive into the WNBA, what was that like for you? I mean, to, to have so much of your career, clearly high school, we've talked about that. You go into Purdue. Um, you, 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 you get your coaching start in the state and then professionally with the fever and everything you just kind of talked about playing with them to coaching with them. So much of your career has been able to be in that state and locally. How special has that been for you? It's been really special. And, and, and for a number of reasons, one, you know, it's just the history of, of basketball in the state of Indiana, you know, that, that kind of, um, I guess when you grow up in the Midwest speaks for itself. There are many people that I've met along my career that, that don't quite understand what basketball means in the state. And, um, you know, my favorite movies, Hoosiers is, as is, I think almost every basketball player from the state of Indiana. Um, but, but also because I got to share it with so many people. I mean, when you grow up in a small town, um, in, in Indiana, our, our high school basketball games were literally community outings. It was like everybody in our County was there and, you know, our gyms were full all the time, no matter where we played in the state, it, it was, it was a packed house and the same thing in college. I mean, playing at Purdue and, and having, you know, record crowds and, you know, 10,000, you know, fans at every game and sellouts, um, you know, our senior year multiple times, um, you know, it was just, it was, I was able to share my career. I always say I was a community project. You know, I, I, I didn't grow up um, in a family that had a lot of money. My parents were barely 18 when I was born and my community helped not just raise me, but helped fund my, my ability to play in AAU and go to, go to camps and get recognized and get seen um, by these college coaches and, and, and literally helped me get to where I am. And I was fortunate that they were able to continue that journey with me collegiately at Purdue. And then when I played for the fever and then when I coached with the fever, I coached um, that, that year at Ball State when I, when I started. Um, and, and so I've been able to, to share this journey. And, you know, it's going to be really cool because we, we open up the season in Indiana and to be able to go back and to, right. to see those same people and to see my family um, as I start this new adventure with a different team. Um, so it's, it's, it's just, that's been, what's been most special about, about the journey is, is being able to continue to share, um, with the people who, who have really helped raise me. 
I feel like we're going completely off script on this episode because you keep saying stuff and then we're like, oh, we have to ask this. <laughs> when was the point where, like, it must have been a culture shock when you arrive to a game or your first game that isn't just completely packed, sold out gym, right? And I'm just curious because we see that so often with, like, superstar, you know, especially in today's day and age, like with Paige or whatever. I'm from Minnesota and I had friends and family constantly be like, oh my God, have you been following this middle school, high school basketball player who's just bawling out of her mind in the neighborhood next door and whatnot? Um, And I'm curious for you, like, was there kind of like a culture shock moment when you got to like some level and it wasn't that same, you know, crazy diehard fan base? Um, Yeah, in a way, you know, particularly collegiately whenever we would play um, places on the road that didn't have a lot of fans. Uh, we would often have more fans than they than some of the teams did, uh, and that was it, it was um, it was kind of eye opening that oh man it's not really like this everywhere. You know we were very fortunate. You know whether it's you know I, that uh, it opens my eyes when I talk to to players who I played against in college who didn't have the same experience as far as like a tight knit team and you know shared experience that that um, that wasn't the same. And I, and I just, it, it baffles me sometimes. I, I almost feel, feel sorry for um, players who didn't play in those kinds of gyms. Right. Um, and then certainly coaching, you know, at the collegiate level, um, you know, coming back and, and seeing gyms that are, that aren't quite as full and, you know, not just the game hasn't, hasn't um, just progressed, but life has progressed and there's a lot more things for people to do. So I know it's a different time. Um, but yeah, it was a little bit shell shocking, a little bit disappointing somewhat. And then, you know, you have to figure out as an athlete, how to create your own energy. And that was tough because as an athlete, you feed off the crowd. So if if we were going to, at the time, Minnesota, who didn't have a lot of fans, um, oftentimes in their gym, you know, it was like, how do we create our own energy? You know, we've, we've got to find a way to, to be our best selves and not rely on or use as a crutch, the fans in the stands and whether they're for you or against you. Like that was the best, right? Like going to Penn State. Penn State always had great fans and they were brutal, but it made it fun because there was still that energy that you got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we often hear about players moving from being players to coaches and like some have success, some struggle with it. I'm always so curious, like for you, what was that transition like and what were the easy parts and what were the hard parts? You know, the, the transition um, felt natural in terms of the basketball piece. I, I didn't plan on becoming a coach. And um, Rachel, ironically, the way it worked out was um, I was playing for the Fever and and Tracy Roller, who was the head coach at Ball State at the time, was a season ticket holder. And she approached me one day and said, hey, I have an opening in my staff. And I just wanted to know if you would be interested. And um, and I said, you know what, I, I might. I know at that time I'd had a couple of surgeries and I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do when I was finished playing. And I said, but I'm not quite ready um, to, to hang up playing. And she was like, no, it's okay. Like you can do both. You know, we're just up the road and, um, you know, all you would miss is summer recruiting. And she's like, I, I think it would be, you know, a really good opportunity for our program and, and maybe you would enjoy it. And I'll never forget the first time I stepped on the floor in workouts. It was like, I felt like I was home. I felt like this was exactly what I was supposed to do. Um, the way that my mind worked as a player was analytically like it works as a coach, you know, seeing things develop, you know, really studying the game, studying film. You know, I wasn't the most athletic. Um, you know, I didn't jump the highs, wasn't the quickest, didn't have the most natural skill, um, but I worked. I love the game and, and the, the X's and O's piece came naturally to me. So that transition um, 
that part of that transition was easy. The hard part was learning how to communicate in a way that players understand. Um, it's, it's really difficult, particularly those first few years after playing, you don't understand why players don't see it the way that you do, why they don't approach the game the way that you do, why they don't approach film work or scout or the weight room or workouts in the same way that you do. Um, and it's, it's, um, it takes some time to figure out that, that they're not you. Uh, and, and I, and I don't mean that in a, in a disrespectful or disingenuous way. It's, it's just, it's natural. And you see that with some players at elite levels. Now they expect everyone around them to be the same as them. And, and it just doesn't happen. So learning how to become a better leader, a better communicator in a way that got the message across clearly learning how to simplify, uh, when you can't take on all of the information or, or players couldn't absorb all the information, um, and then learning how to game plan in a way that that best prepares your team and gives you the best chance to win, um, because it might not always be uh, the same every every year, or it might not always be the same every month if you lose players to injury or you lose players for for some reason or another. So um, so those things were difficult. Those things were challenging at the time. They they, they continue to be challenging. And I think as we as we grow in this profession and as things change and players change and uh, the game changes. That's kind of the evolution of of success of of coaching. You you either evolve with it, you pivot, you become better at it, or you don't, and you get left behind. Such great knowledge there. Um, yeah, phenomenal. Thank you for sharing all of that. And shout out to Tracy Roller. Um, great person. Love her so yes. much. I didn't yes. know that story, so that's really cool. Um, you know, I think I speak for so many people. When I say um, we're excited to have you back in the WNBA, you, you've obviously had a lot of time, both collegiately and professionally. We could have a whole episode <laughs> about the differences, um, especially when, when, when you break down the collegiate game and what that looks like and, and the demand of that schedule versus the professional schedule. But um, I do want to say, you know, what, what, what is it about the pro level, the WNBA, um, that you feel like is such a fit for you or that resonates with you so much? I, th I think it's, it's basketball, right. You know, and, and, and you've coached in college, so you understand it's, it's, there's so many things that happen with college sports. Um, you know, it's not just basketball. In fact, less than 5% of it is probably basketball. You know, players are, have school and they've got, you know, social stuff going on and they've got demands on their time and they're adjusting to, to life. And, uh, and, and there, there's just so many things that are, that are involved that, um, that, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, are distractions from a basketball standpoint, but are, are what they have to do to transition to that next phase of their life as a college student. Right. Um, we always talked about rookies and you know what, at least rookies, when they came into the, the WNBA had four years of life experience, they were four years older, they were four years more mature. And, um, and so the, you know, for me, um, just getting back to the basketball is what draw, draws me to the WNBA and the X's and O's, the thing that, that I love, the thing that I'm passionate about, um, the challenge, the chess match with other coaches and other teams and making adjustments in game, the challenge of preparing, pre preparing a team um, and preparing, you know, uh, players to be successful and, and helping players get that game to their that next level, um, you know, is, is something that I love. Um, you know, the college dynamic is just there's just so much. Um, and, and it's, um, not, not better, not worse, not anything. It just is what it is. And I think in the, now in the days of, 
the transfer portal and NIL, it's becoming even more so. And trying to put together teams and prepare teams and develop individuals is becoming more difficult than ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right, you're back in the WNBA. It really felt like the last couple of years, um, it was just a matter of time. You know, clearly, we've seen a lot of change from the coaching front, different franchises. You know, It was just kind of like, all right, wh- where's Steph going to end up is kind of the way I-, I felt in my mind. Um, I know that you were in discussions with other other teams and you know have been a hot name, but what was it about Connecticut that was so appealing to you? Yeah, the, a, a few things. One, certainly the the roster. I mean, this is a this is a franchise that has had great success um, really since its inception. But you know, particularly over the last four years, Kurt had done an outstanding job putting a team together and preparing them night in and night out and competing for championships. And you know, there was a roster that reminded me a little bit of our teams in Indiana in that on paper, you know, there were, there were times where you're like, how, how do they keep winning? But they had that gritty, that toughness, that, uh, that, that just ability to, to put themselves in positions um, for success and for opportunities for success. And so I, I like that about the, the group um, and the franchise. You know, I had um, known many people who have worked and played in the franchise that just raved about the way that they take care of their people, about how much, uh, they, they love having the team, how much they value human beings in the organization. Um, and, you know, it's an organization that from day one, from the time the Orlando Miracle became the Connecticut Sun, no matter who was playing, no matter who was coaching, there was a level of success um, year in and year out. And, you know, that that's from 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 Mike Tebow to, to Ann Donovan, um, you know, and, 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 and Kurt continued that as, as well. I mean, it just and Lindsey Whalen, the Katie Douglas to Nikisha. Sitt, I mean, everybody who played in the organization, it just didn't matter. Um, and they were always, always right there, always in the hunt, always in the conversation. And so I, it was an organization that I certainly have respected from afar. Um, and then the opportunity to, to work with this, this group was just, um, too good to be true. You know, Rachel and I kept talking about this team, how, you know, they were built for long-term success a few years ago. Um, and we all know the history of the sun and you just did an amazing job of kind of running down the history of the sun. So I appreciate that perfect segue. Um, but I think it's, it's been kind of clear that a few changes, at least from Rachel and I's perspective, a few changes needed to be made. Um, for them, for them as the team to to ascend to that next level, to the ultimate goal, winning championship rings. And so I'm curious for you, like this isn't about past coaches or, or anything like that, but just like when you interviewed and were thinking about like, okay, I could be moving into like the helm of this team. What were the changes in your eyes, whether it's style of play or warm up routine or whatever it is? Like, what were the changes that you think um, you can help this team do so that you can ascend to that goal of winning rings? Well, I think first and foremost, when you watch this team and look at this team analytically, it's like we needed to get better three-point shooting. You know, it was one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league, couldn't clear out space for for great interior players. Um, and, that, and that's, you know, not a, not a knock on players that were there. It was just the way that the team was built. Um, and, and so needing to get players who could really space the floor, um, and, and who can can really open things up for you know a Brianna Jones or an Alyssa Thomas is is going to be important um, consistently. And I think style of play too. You know, for me, uh, I, I think that you know when you have somebody like Alyssa Thomas who is the ultimate point forward, 
um, and the way that she sees the game and the way the feel that she has for the game and being able to rebound and go and initiate offense, you know, being able to push in transition is huge. I felt like covering this team in the past, everything on the offensive end or most things on the offensive end were very difficult and they were a amazing defensive team and, and always prepared and, and always executed at a high, high level, but it seems like just struggled um, to get easy buckets on the offensive end. So, so I wanted to be able, I want to be able to open it up. I want to be able to get up and down the floor a little bit more. I want to be able to, to put players in positions to be successful and get easier shots and, and, and higher percentage shots um, for our team. And so it, you'll see a little bit different style, you know, not as, not as much, um, you know, running plays as, as hopefully, you know, learning how to make plays, uh, learning how to make each other better, um, finding ways to get the best shot on the floor and make it a little bit easier uh, for our team. So let's run down your free agency. Um, now that we're kind of through the thick of it um, and you can talk a little more openly, you're able to kind of core, maintain Bree Jones, um, Natisha Heideman. We talked about Ty Harris. I think you and I were, were talking about how much we just love Ty Harris and what she brings, Tip Hayes, Olivia Nelson-Adota. Um, you know, what are your just overall general thoughts? And, I mean, go, go into as much detail as you want about just the free agency you guys just had and, and being able to, um, you know, put the pen to the paper of all the things you just talked about in the roster that you've built. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's it's a combination of things. And, you know, I'm, I'm very – uh, thankful that I don't have to be a GM and have to worry about not just the combinations, but the numbers and, and all of that too. But one of the things I think is really important, particularly in Connecticut and, and what I feel like Connecticut has done a really good job of is have a balance of, of veterans of, of kind of those mid mid year players who, you know, are in the year three, four, five um, and, and rookies, you know, it's, it's a, it's an, a team. And I think it's really important that you develop the players that you draft so that you're not having to start over and rebuild in the draft. Like this is really the first year that we've seen, um, you know, such movement, such drastic movement in free agency. Typically you build a WNBA team through the draft and, and you're not getting, you know, mostly everybody could, could offer the same thing that everybody else could. Right. And so it was like, you're, you're building your team and your franchise through the draft. And, you know, once they're done, you're rebuilding through the draft. And so for us, I wanted to make sure that, Number one, keeping Brianna Jones was huge. Um, you know, she is a player who, you know, from the time I was cover covering her in college um, to the time that I took the job, it's just you're in awe of the way that she had continued to improve um, and fly under the radar and be so successful. I mean, to be a most improved player, to be a sixth player of the year, to be an all-star, and she hadn't really even been a cornerstone of anything that was going on in the organization on the court. Um, and she's ready for that. She's, she's ready to, to be that go-to. And so to, to be able to keep her as, as really that, that centerpiece was, was huge. Um, and, and she and Alyssa Thomas play, play really, really well together. So that was big for us. You know, I think Natisha Heideman is, is one of the up and coming, you know, really, really good guards in our league. Um, you know, she was playing, she was playing behind Jazz Thomas, but she had gotten thrown into the fire and led a team to a championship game, you know, to the finals. And, you know, I think for her um, just to continue to grow, continue to get better, you know, she was the best three-point shooter by percentage on the team. Um, it's important to keep her because I think she's a good young talent that we can continue to develop. And I cannot wait until Breon January can work with her every day and, and, and help her become an, an elite guard in our league. Um, so, so keeping her was really important. 
Um, you know, I, I think Ty Harris can, has the has the potential to be a really good guard in this league too, and and she's been buried, you know, and 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 hasn't really had um, you know much of an opportunity to 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 blossom. And I think that she's ready. And you know, oftentimes, and we see this a lot in in our in the WNBA and in our league, and we've saw it, you know, from the time this league the, of the, this league's inception, is sometimes it's just getting in the, on the right team, like getting around the right people and and you can just flourish it's not always where you're drafted it's it's then finding finding that next spot that 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 fits and I think Ty has an opportunity to come in and to be really successful I love the way that she can run a team if you can be a point guard on a team that Don Staley coaches you know you, you know that you're that you're ready right you know that that if the best point guard who ever played our game and Don Staley trust you right. um then we 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 should trust you right and, and I think that Ty Harris it has the ability to run a team. You know, obviously she can play off the ball too and knock down shots. I think that that's, um, that's going to be big for us. Uh, she can do some things defensively. I think she's an underrated defender, um, really good in the two-man game. And so I, I'm really looking forward to what she can bring. Um, you know, Olivia Nelson Adota is a young post player that I think can really develop in our system. And if you're going to play behind Bree Jones and Alyssa Thomas every day in practice, you're going to get better. I also like the fact that she played in a system at Connecticut that utilized their big to, to facilitate. And we will utilize our bigs to facilitate. She was a great passer in college. She was a great facilitator. And we'll utilize her in this way as well. And she can develop in our system and in our franchise. And, you know, I think that she's got great, great upside, great potential, um, and a great mind for the game. Now, I think Becca Allen's going to be big for us too. The ability to stretch the floor, be another long player. I mean, we haven't even talked about DB because, you know, obviously we're talking about uh, free agency, but but the ability to have DeWanna Bonner and Rebecca Allen, you know, on the wing or swing into the floor if we need them to, um, to stretch the floor, you know, can, can is really going to help us. And I, I think DeWanna Bonner is a player that we can get her we can get her shots. You know, she's at the point of her career, and you see this oftentimes um, throughout any basketball career, where where we need to be able to put her in positions to be successful, where she can just catch and shoot. You know, she doesn't have to create like she used to have to do, right? Where we can get her position in positions where she's coming off of screens and she's getting really good shots, and we've got actions, and she's got players around her who complement her. So, um, so I, I think we've got some some really good pieces. Um, you know, we've got a lot of of challenge ahead just because there's going to be so much change in how we do things. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful that we're going to have a good, a good long camp and, and a good opportunity to, to try to put these pieces together. Well, and you kind of alluded it in terms of just the change in the league overall, the shift, you can't, obviously we can't ignore what Las Vegas and New York <laughs> were able to accomplish this mm-hmm. reality and quote unquote, I guess this super team era um, which is a really popular thing to say right now, but being right on the fringe, right on that outside of it. I mean, I'm listening to you talk and I'm like, okay, wow. Like I'm really starting to get excited about this Connecticut roster and, and the changes that, that we all knew needed to happen. Um, it was just that, it was that time. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering from your perspective, um, you're right there. I would say that that top four tier, in my opinion, you know, in terms of that shift, in terms of what you've seen, from these quote unquote super teams, does that, does that, how does that affect your approach um, going into this season while still building this team, knowing that, okay, the top two teams are th- this team and this team. And, and how do we match that? 
Yeah, you know, I don't think it changes the approach. And and I, I guess I'll use the example of, of our Indiana Fever teams. I mean, you know, you think about... Perfect segue. There, there, you know, there, there were, there were quote-unquote super teams when you think about the Houston Comets and the big three, right? Um, and, you, and, and Minnesota was a dang super team. Now, it took them a while to get there. They had a crap ton of number one draft picks, right? And then when they were all ready, when they all had matured, they were a super team. Um, and then you had Sylvia Fowles who comes in there, right? So I think about our Indiana Fever teams and first and foremost, no matter what, to win a championship, you got to have a little bit of luck. I mean, you got to stay injury free, you know, things have to go, go the right way. You got to get hot at the right time. Um, like, like we did the year that we won the championship in Indiana and we did the year that, that we went to the finals in 2015. Um, you know, and a lot of things have to, have to go your way. And I think we've seen in the NBA, that, um, you know, it, it, just because a roster has a, a lot of, of great players, it doesn't always mean that it, it, you win a championship. And so we prepare in a way that gives us the best chance possible to win. Um, you know, we, we, we don't get away from the identity of this franchise in terms of the toughness and the grit and the way that we play and, and, and our ability to just want to outwork our opponent and out-execute our opponent um, every day. And, and, and that's what we'll do, you know, and, and I have a, a really great staff that we're going to put together game plans that make it tough for every team that we play. Um, and certainly we've got to get creative when it comes to the super teams that you play. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's about what you look like when you play them at the time that it matters um, and taking care of business along, uh, along the way, the rest of the season. And so we'll approach it that way. Um, I think it's, you know, from the outside looking in, um, it's, it's an exciting time. And I think we knew it was just a matter of time because every league gets to this point. Um, and great players want to play with other great players. I mean, you can't, you can't fault players for that. Um, certainly. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a great challenge. And as a competitor, I cannot wait to put these game plans together and go out and and compete against, I mean, that's ultimately what we want is to compete against the best players, the best coaches, uh, and the best teams in the world. And we're going to get a chance to do that. You segued perfectly. And I was so happy you brought up the Lynx being a super team and you guys defeating them because, like, I just think everyone kind of forgets that we've had super teams for a while. And, yes, we have social media now. And there's a little bit more eyes uh, on all these moves and, and the makeups of these teams. But, like, heck, you could even argue that, you know, Seattle was a super team mm-hmm. or L.A. was a super team. Um, so I'm just happy that you brought that up. Side note, I was at that series uh, when Me y'all too. took down the super team. Oh, I was um, there. I was so there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. As as a younger, the younger me who was a diehard Lynx fan was not too happy with you at that point. Oh, um, sorry. We're, we're past it. We're past it. It's okay. You guys, you guys got a lot, and then you got yeah. us back, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but quickly, like, tell us about your staff. Like, why did you pick them, and what do they add to this team? Yeah, I've been trying to hire Breon January for seven years, so um, I'm thankful that that I finally got her, and I hope that I can keep her for a little while. Um, you know, uh, Bree number one was just anybody who has watched her play. Um, I think respects how hard she competes. I think they respect what she gets out of out of herself every single day. Um, she has been right up there with Tamika Catchings in terms of the hardest workers that I've ever coached. And um, you can't, you know, you, you think about the example, you, you, you can't underestimate the example that that sets for a team. Um, she played with this 
organization. She played with these players. And so they know how she approaches the game day in and day out. They know how she approaches the weight room. They know how she approaches her diet, you know, her fitness, her nutrition, all of those things. I mean, she's just the ultimate pro. Um, and I also appreciated, you know, my work with Bree when, when I was coaching her in Indiana, you know, Bree comes in the league as a young player who's just always really fast and really athletic. And so helping her understand how to gear down, how to change speeds, um, how to play it like a seven or eight instead of a, a 10 plus, um, how to read the game, how to become a better leader, uh, a better communicator, um, and then how to, to trust your shot, right? Because Bree was always the best defender. Um, she was always great in transition. Um, and there were, then there were times where she passed up shots, um, because she tried to be the ultimate facilitator. And so I, I think when we were able to, to win the championship, not only did she do the outstanding job that she did when we changed her to guarding Simone Augustus, but she had some big shots for this team. Big three-point shots, which statistically, if you looked at her, it was not, you know, the thing that she did. And her and Erlena Larkins playing off the elbow um, in, in 2012 and in 2015, they were just really hard to stop. And so I, I think when you think about Brie, and when I think about Brie, I, I envision all of those things. And I look at how she'd become a better communicator, a better teacher, her collegiate coaching experience, um, and, and really working with young players, learning how to get what you know as a player out um, and, 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 and help others, you know, again, like that conversation that we had earlier, start to see it the way that you see it. So, um, so Brie was obviously somebody that I've always had in the back of my mind. And every time that I've been thinking about a job, I've called her and I'm just so thankful that it worked out this time. And I think she's going to be a great teacher for our young players. And I think she's going to be a great head coach in our league one day. Um, Abby Elijah Wan's a player who I coached in Chicago, um, brought to camp in Indiana but I had, I had long respected and admired what Abby did as a collegiate player as well. I mean, she played three years behind Courtney Paris, rarely saw the light of day on the floor, yet just kept working, kept grinding, stayed true to the process so that when Courtney Paris graduated, Abby Olajuwon took over and she was ready. And, and that's, that's a true testament, I think, to her character because lots of players don't want to sit for three years just to play the one, Right. And, and she did that and she was ready. She took advantage. Um, every time she was subbed in the game, even for us with the sky, same thing. It was like, she didn't pout because she didn't get the minutes. And then when she did get the minutes, she took advantage of them. And I always had great respect for her, um, because of that, you know, she's a great human being. She's been a, a, a really great college coach. Um, and you know, like, like a lot of coaches, um, that have coached in college, you know, some, some of the stuff that's, that's going on, it just kind of wears on them. And, and, you know, we've had conversations over the years about her wanting to get back into the WNBA and wanting to, to coach in the WNBA. And we re we had, um, run into each other quite a few times. Um, and, you know, she was just a young coach in my mind that I thought, um, you know, is, is ready to make that jump. I think it's important that we get former players back in into this league who want to be in this league because number one, they understand what the kids are kids. I say kids, they understand what these women's are women are going through. Um, they've been there. Right. Um, and we want to give back to this league that has given us so much. And so to have two former players that, that are, are ready and willing to do that was important for me. Um, we, um, we are have hired another assistant coach and it hasn't been announced yet, but it'll be announced soon. Um, in Austin Kelly, Austin worked with me at, um, 
Vanderbilt for a while, but, but Austin was always around our Indiana fever teams. His wife is Karima Christmas and Austin was always our scout guy, right? Like he was our best scout guy. He was always Elena Deladon. He was always Maya Moore. He was always Candace Parker, you know, Neko Gumake, anybody that we needed him to be. And I worked closely with him because, um, I, I, had him run the scout team. And so we were often, you know, communicating great basketball mind, great X's and O's sees things forward thinking the way that I do from a basketball standpoint. Um, and is somebody that, that I just think is, is a great coach and is going to continue to be a great coach. In fact, um, you know, I, th- I think Austin, you know, he's, he's somebody that, um, that I would have to say if, if he and I were doing end of game situations together or against each other, um, they'd probably be pretty similar actions that you would see. So we're very, very similar on that mind. Um, and then we brought in a player development coach um, too, because I, I really think it's important for our, our young players who don't get as many reps and don't get as many minutes to um, to get extra work in. And his name is Keith Porter, and he's he's in, based in Connecticut. So our, our players, when they're there, can get workouts in with him. But, you know, I think investing in the player development piece, particularly – in our, in our young players is, is really important. It's easy to say, Oh, they're pros. They got to do it on their own, but it's just, it's not like that, you know, and, and we don't have an off season. They go overseas uh, and then, then they come back and they play and we don't have an off season. So I think implementing a piece that will allow our players to continue to grow, continue to get better and hopefully help um, young people and, and young players in our league have long careers um, is, is really important. So I'm thankful to Jen for allowing me to build out the staff the way that we were able to do it. Um, and I'm thankful that we have a great blend of, of former players um, and, and outside perspectives that can, that can help our team be the best that we can be. Yeah, congratulations to you. That sounds like a phenomenal staff. Thank um, you. So excited to, you know, just kind of see what you guys can do as, as you kind of ran through everyone for us. I, I've got one more question before we get into our not-so-rapid-fire questions. Um, we couldn't have Steph White on the show without talking about your broadcasting. Um, <laughs> I am very vocal. I've raved about you for years and your ability to um, be on air, you've kind of jumped in and out depending on, you know, whether you were coaching collegially or whatever that might've been, but um, you know, you're, you're back, you're broadcasting games. In my opinion, you're one of the best analysts to listen to um, and have Thank really you. become that voice for women's college basketball. But um, I don't know this answer. How did you get this start in doing this? I mean, obviously you're, you're, it's, it's a natural talent for you, Um, How did you get your start and can we expect you to continue to do it? Um, Well, it was just like coaching. I got lucky and you know, it's, um, it's just, it's really funny because when I was coaching with the Chicago sky, um, it was the year that the um, it was the year that the big 10 network started. Um, And a man by the name of Eric Collins, who is now the voice of the Charlotte Hornets um, used to call, he was the play-by-play for the Chicago sky and I worked for Bo Overton and Steve Key when I was in Chicago. And um, I always ended up doing the halftime and pregame interviews with Eric Collins. So one day Eric comes up to me and he, he says, you know, why aren't you in broadcasting? Like, why don't you work in television? And I was like, I don't know. I never really thought about it. Like coaching was just kind of the, the next thing that happened for me. Um, and he said this network called the Big Ten Network was starting up based in Chicago and they were looking for former um, Big Ten players to do do the games, like broadcast the games. And um, he said, I'm going to give you a name. And the name was a guy named Tim Sutton who used to work for Fox and used to work for Big Ten Network. And he said, I want you to call Tim, and I want you to tell him that I told you to call and, um, and see if 
you know, you can get a, you can get an audition. So I said, all right, you know, I might as well, I'm not really doing anything in the off season. I might as well see what this is like. So I, I called Tim and, um, had a great conversation with him and, um, the, the late Leon Schweier, who was a, a Purdue grad who started the big 10 network. And, um, you know, they said, yeah, we'd love to have you on and we'll give you, give you a few games and we'll see how it goes. And, and, and a few games turned into about 50 events that year for me. And it, it literally just grew from there. And, you know, again, right place, right time. Um, so thankful for that, that opportunity and, and to be a part of that network from the, from the ground up, um, was, was really awesome. Uh, and, you know, continuing to, to be able to do this is really something that I enjoy. And so, yes, I, I will continue to do it. I, I always, I, I always enjoyed, Number one, just, you know, basketball. I just love basketball. So being in the gym is, is huge. But, but what I appreciated most about coaching in the W and doing, doing television was as coaches, we often tend to get so tunnel visioned and we get so focused on the minutia. We always are focused on what our teams can't do instead of what our teams can do. And particularly by the end of the season, we go from this wide view to this narrow view. And in broadcasting, it's all wide view, right? So when in the fall, after we'd finished WNBA season, I would go into these gyms and I'll be talking to these coaches and I would say, Hey, you know, so-and-so is really playing well. And you guys are doing this like really well. And the coaches would say, yeah, but we're not doing this, 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 and this, right. As we all do. And, um, and so it gave me a great balance and a great perspective of, I could come into the WNBA season with a big picture sort of macro viewpoint at the end of the year, I would have, you know, a micro viewpoint. And then when I went back into to broadcasting, it would widen it again. And so I felt like it, it gave me a great balance. Um, it gave me great perspective going into each season coaching and then going into each season broadcasting because I could I could show the the listener the micro view of the, the, the details and the X's and O's. And I could remind myself and show the teams that I'm, ca- I'm, I'm, I'm calling the game for um, the macro view too. So I, um, I missed that when I was in college coaching, I felt like I was, I was always very tunnel vision in college coaching and I, and I didn't get the opportunity to, to have the awareness, uh, to, to get back out and see the big picture. That's a really cool perspective. We sure. appreciate you, you sharing that with us now for the fun, everyone's highlight the rapid fire questions, take all the time you need. Um, first question, what is your pregame meal as a coach or player? Uh, as a player, it was always um, chicken, potato, a little bit of pasta, um, you know, and back when I was a player, we didn't have as much uh, information when it came to nutrition as we do now. So, um, so that, but that was the same thing almost every time, you know, as a coach, I, uh-oh, here we go. See, <laughs> we have a dog appearance. I love um, it. But as a coach, I don't really have a pregame meal. Um, you know, I, I don't have as many superstitions as a coach as I had as a player. So, so I can, I can pretty much, pretty much do anything. What coach are you most excited to go up against? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, I don't, I don't know if I have one coach that I'm most excited to go up against, you know, always, um, before it was Lambeer, that was always a lot of fun to, to go up against Bill Lambeer. Of course, I grew up watching the bad boys and mm-hmm. it was, that was, that was fun for me. You know, I think, um, you know, certainly probably Cheryl, just because of the history that we've shared with Indiana and Minnesota. Um, you know, I think it's gonna be fun to go against Eric Tebow, you know, all the years of coaching against Mike and, 
um, and, and sort of watching Eric grow up in this league from the time he was a, a young boy, you know, passing to players in Connecticut to now having his own team. I think that's going to be really fun um, and, and, and really cool. So I guess I would say those two. Favorite game that you ever coached or played in? Favorite game that I ever played in was the national championship game. Um, favorite game I ever coached, um, of course, winning the winning the WNBA championship. But but the the finals in 2015 was was really pretty cool. And for for those of you who who were there, um, and you're right. For so for those of you who were there, remember in Minnesota they would um, they had the uh, when the video board would do the countdown and then it would just go black. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the moment that we were in Minnesota, I can't remember which game it was in 2015, like the first time that that happened and I was in the head coaching seat. Um, I just remember smiling and thinking like, this is exactly where you want to be. This is so cool to be in this moment with, you know, all of these fans and it was so loud. And as soon as that, that, that hit zero and the lights went out and every, the crowd just roared, it was like, this is why you do what you do. Like, this is the fun moment. And so that, that moment, um, has always stuck with me and it was, it was so much fun. And even though we didn't come out victorious, um, it was, it was a special moment for me. Oh, I just got chills. Okay. Uh, favorite vacation spot. Anywhere with a beach. (laughs) Anywhere, just anywhere Anywhere with a beach. Uh, Yes. Um, I did take, we did take, um, our kids to Jamaica for the first time this year and they loved it. So being able to share their, that was their first international trip and, um, and the, how much they enjoyed it and how much fun we had, you know, playing volleyball together and, and all of that stuff that, that, that made that a really special trip. Toughest player that you ever had to guard. Cheryl Swoops by far. Ooh, she, she did. You didn't even hesitate on that one. Mm-mm. Wow. That was so quick. I love it. And my personal favorite question to ask Besides Diana Taurasi, who's the biggest trash talker you've played against or seen? Oh, wow. Mm. Everyone always goes Lauren with DP, Jackson. and I'm like, no, someone else. Lauren Jackson was pretty good at, at her trash talking, too. Really? And okay. Yeah, she, she was. I mean, you know, if, we, if we're talking about the number of F-bombs dropped between Lauren Jackson and Diana Taurasi, like, it's got to be pretty close. <laughs> That's amazing. It also makes sense why Sue's good friends with both of them. Right. It all, it all makes sense now. It all makes sense. Well, Steph, we are so honored um, that you took the time out of your day to chat with us uh, and share some of your wisdom. We truly, truly appreciate it. Best of luck during the season. We will be bothering you to come back on again because we enjoyed ourselves. Um, so have a great rest of your day, your week, and we can't wait to uh, to see what you cook up with this Connecticut Sun team. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you.